Amen, amen. Great to see you. Hey, um, if you haven't noticed, we kind of we moved you up a little bit there today. I was feeling like you were too far away, so I crunched you all in here, right? We actually even went back to, uh, we had three feet, three feet between the, the chairs. We went back to our normal standard two feet. And um, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I have, um, and those of you who are online, thank you so much for being here today. But in the house, uh, you know, this is a large room. Would you agree with that? I mean, this is a large room that we are in. And um, sometimes I feel like we're rattling around in this thing, you know? So somehow we gotta feel like we are more together than we are spread out. So we're just trying some things to help us with that. And uh, if there's anything that the church is, we are a family, amen? We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And um, I, families, um, I don't know if you go to your house, you don't have one person in the living room and one person in the dining room and one person in the backyard. You kind of all get in the same room together, right? And kind of feel each other out and connect together. And I just want you to feel that way when you come to church. So great to have you here today. We are in this series called Transformed. And... Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, let's uh, take our Bibles, and we are in Romans chapter 12, 13 today, starting in verse number 8. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse number 8. So uh, how many of you, uh, you know, uh, read this before you came in? Say aye. All right, there's a few of you, praise God. <laughs> Stand up and let's read God's word together. Can we do that? Romans chapter 8, start, chapter 13, starting at verse number 8 and reading down to the end of the chapter. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we, when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. It is a strong and clear and practical word for us. I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds for the next few minutes and that we could hear you and, and um, listen in such a way that we would um, we'd, we'd respond to your word, Lord, in a way that helps us to uh, live out the Christian life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever had this problem? Why can't I wake up my teenager? Um, I don't know about you. Maybe you have a hard time getting your kids out of bed. Maybe you have a hard time getting yourself out of bed. You know, I'm probably some of us have had that problem at some point in our lives. But I remember when I was, uh, when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, I had a tendency to want to sleep all day and stay up all night. Anybody else have that problem? You know, if you don't go to bed on time, guess what? You don't want to get up in the morning. Now, as I've gotten older, guess what's happened? I go to bed earlier and get up earlier. You know, that's just the way it is. But when I was a, when I was a teenager, I, I, uh, I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to get up. And so my, my foster father at the time, he had some unique ways to get me out of bed. Because he had a rule. He would give me one warning. It's time to get up and get ready for school. It's time to get up and get ready for school. And if he had to come in a second time, he had no mercy, okay? And so these are some of the things that I remember him doing. Ripping all of the covers right off of me. And there I was, laying there in my PJs or my, my skimpies, <laughs> freezing cold, you know, because we lived in the north, you know, and, <coughs> and um, all of a sudden I was awake, you know. And, um, and if that didn't work, he would walk in with a bucket of water and just whoosh, literally. Let me tell you something, that'll wake you up quickly too. And the water wasn't warm, it was cold. And it only took a couple of those things happening for me to change my behavior. That I realized that he was really serious about me getting out of bed on time. Now, you might call that cruelty. I call that good parenting. <laughs> because sometimes, you know, you negotiate, you negotiate, you negotiate, you prod, you, you plead, you, and it goes on and on and on and on, and it gets old after a while. When I was in the military, I remember my drill sergeant saying to us, as soon as the lights come on in the barracks, you are up out of bed. And if he caught you sleeping or laying or even sitting on your bed after the lights came on, you did a whole lot of push-ups and a long bunch of push-ups for a long time. We could not, when we got out of bed, we could never sit on the floor, lean against the, the wall, lean against the bunk. We always had to be upright the entire day of training. We have to be disciplined in our life. Well, today, I want to talk to you about how do you wake up spiritually? How do you wake up spiritually? Because here in the scripture, Paul begins to, to connect with us in the end of chapter 13. He is finishing off this, this wonderful practical instructions about how we are to live this transformed life. That we are to live our lives in such a way that we are living sacrifices. That we are, we are not being squeezed in by the world's mode, but we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And how we can live out the Christian life. Remember the theme of the, of the last few messages in chapter 12 and 13 is Christian living. 
How do we live? How do we continue to live out this, this incredible salvation that we have received by what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, by all of the wonderful things he has done for us that we have received by faith. And so he says some things to us about waking up. And so I want to talk to you this morning about three things about waking up. The first one is understand the times. Understand the times. Notice what he says in verse number 11. He says, and do this. We're going to come back to this do this thing here. Understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You and I are living in a time. We are living in times and our time. This word time is the word, the Greek word karios, which describes a, a moment or a period or, or, or some, some momentous occasion that happened. Jesus, the Bible says at just the right time, Jesus came into the world. At just the right time. In other words, he comes at the appointed time that God wants. And you, you and I need to constantly be asking ourselves, what time am I in? What is this time in my life? You know, for some of you, you're in, the, you're in, you're in adolescence or young adulthood or middle age or you're in, you're in the prime of your life at the very end of your life. Whatever it might be, you might, you have to ask yourself, what is the time I am in? The time that we are in, in spiritually, is we are bef between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. We are in this overlap period between the already and the not yet. That God has done his work. We still face death, but we face death with an understanding that there's a resurrection. Amen? We face life from the standpoint that God has given us his power and his spirit in our life to live out the Christian life. You know, so, so Christianity has these different periods of time. We are looking forward to the end times. Some people think we are in the end times. Some people think that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. There's a sense in which in the scripture we felt like Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. I'm not so sure when he's coming back. The scripture's clear about that, but I know he's coming. Amen. So understanding the times we're in. I want to point out three times that I think you should be aware of today. They are, they are what I call post, okay? A post time, all right? Three types of post. The first one is we are living in a post-Christian world. The United States of America has been, has, is no longer a, what we would call a Christian nation, I wish it wasn't so. But the central premise of who we are is we are a pluralistic society. We are a society that has many beliefs, Christianity still being a dominant force in our society, but we are a post-Christian society. And as one writer said it this way, a post-Christian society recognizes Christian ideas and generally follows, follows watered-down Christian values, but rejects its ethics in a Christian worldview. That is generally the spirit of our world today. 
We have, we have moved away from Christianity being the dominant force in our culture. And we know that is the case. I mean, we look at the, at the secular square and we look at religious holidays. Sometimes Christian holidays are pushed to the side. Sometimes they're not as prominent, you know. We don't have, a, we don't have prayer in schools anymore. And we don't have Bible readings in the schools anymore. We don't have the church being the center of the community anymore. More and more people are doing other things on Sunday. Have you figured that out? Sunday is no longer a sacred day for our society. There was a time when we had blue laws and there was a time when nobody would schedule anything on Sunday morning because it was church time. Today, you have many options. And today we have to know that these are the times that we're in and we have to be the ones who have to make commitments to our personal faith. So we are a post-Christian society. We are also a post-modern society. A post-modern. For some of you that might be a new term for you, but what does it mean to be post-modern? Somebody has wrote this way, in a postmodern world, truth and reality are understood individually and shaped by personal history, social class, gender, culture, and religion. In other words, everybody's got their own truth. There's no longer considered one truth. We are a relativism society. We are a society that believes that many paths lead to the same result. We're a society that, that no longer believes in absolute truth, absolute right and wrong. What is your truth may not be my truth. And what is their truth may not be the, this other person's truth. We have many truths in our world today. And everybody is claiming their own truth and claiming their own way to live. And that's because we are a postmodern society. Modernity, modern society, was a rationalistic society that believed in right and wrong and absolute truth. We now believe there is no such thing as absolute truth. Although as we as believers believe there is. Amen. But that's the reality we find ourselves in. And that's why some of our younger generations today are growing up and they're confused. They don't understand because they are growing up in a postmodern society. If you've got gray hair, you have moved from a modern way of thinking to living in a postmodern world. And you're going, what happened to the world? What happened to it? What happened to right and wrong? What happened to truth? Because we have shifted our world. And today there is a major shift. We were once pre-modern, then we were modern, and now we are post-modern. Now, post-modern modern is almost like going back to biblical times. It really is. It's almost going back to the, to the time when there were many gods in many ways, and Christianity flourished during that time. And my prayer is that somewhere along the way, we will find our footing in this new world and this new way of thinking where the gospel will be preached and taught in a powerful way. Because post-modernity opens, does open people up to spirituality. The problem is they're finding their spirituality in the wrong places. They believe in the, in the mystery of something that they can't see, touch, or feel. That they can't, they can't explain. But they begin to explain it how they want and discover it the way they want. 
God wants to still reach human hearts. So we are post-Christian, we are post-modern. Let me give you one more that is even more relevant to today in our day and time. We are post-COVID. That's a biggie. But we are post-COVID. In other words, we have come through what we call a pandemic. And um, I lost that there for a second. And, and we have been changed. The world has changed over the last couple of years. Now, I don't know if it's really changed for the long haul. I really don't. I, because in some ways, I think that, that this pandemic, some would say, I'm not sure it was a pandemic, but there were a lot of people who died. That's pretty clear, you know. And people did get sick, and it was worldwide. So whatever you think about COVID is not really my issue here. My issue is that it changed the patterns of the way we do things. It changed the way we view things. It changed the way we operate. We have a whole generation of students that are way behind in their schooling. If you're in public education or even Christian education, you know that you're trying to help students catch up to reading and writing. I was having, uh, having coffee yesterday with Rich Conley, who is a principal in one of our schools and a member of our church. And he was saying to me, you know, there was only about 10% of the kids that really did online education well. The rest of them didn't really, do, couldn't do it. So that's 90% of the kids that were online that couldn't really learn and stay focused. And he said, you know, discipline was really easy during those days. If you didn't behave, we just shut you off the screen. It was just done, you know. But the world has changed. And now we're coming back and we're saying, how can we regain what we have? How can post-COVID, how can we regain what we had as a church? All across America today. In every single church across the United States, attendance is down 30 to 40 percent. 30, 40 percent from where we were prior to COVID. And you ask yourself, will they ever come back? Some may never, unfortunately. But we continue to pray and ask the Lord to help us. Amen. Online has become the norm. We still, by the way, if you don't know this, we have between 150 and 200 people every week online with us. We don't know who they are. We don't even know how long they stay. We don't even really understand what they are getting out of it. Thank you for those who are online today. Amen. And I'm glad we can be online. I think the world has, has, uh, has made us, forced us to go more digital than we've ever done. But I'm not so sure that is really good for us. Because I think the power of proximity and the power of connection is what God has put within every human heart. And we need each other. We need relationships. We need to see each other in the eyes. We need to have coffee with each other. We need to touch each other. We need to, we need to communicate with each other. And when we sit and just look at a screen and we just participate by distance, we are not connecting the way God wants us to connect. If you're online with us, could I ask you, please come home. Please come home. Please come home. Please come back to church. 
Don't just be so lazy and sit in your pajamas with your cup of coffee, although I know and understand that sometimes all of us need a Sunday like that. But when that becomes the norm, I think it really will affect us long term. Amen? We need to understand the times we're in. Okay? The Bible says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know what the day of the Lord will come. But understand this. I love what he says here. Understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. All of us have to have a heightened awareness about the times we're living in, the times that you personally are in, where you are spiritually, and are you aware and are you ready for what God wants to do in our world? Are you ready for his coming again? He's coming again. Are you ready for your eternal destiny? Because you never know when you're going to breathe your last breath. And as the scripture says, are you ready for every opportunity every day brings to you? Because every day has a new set of opportunities that come along the way. That's part of being watchful, being aware of your surroundings. So what should you do? There's a few things that he says. What are you to do? First of all, wake up from your slumber. What is the slumber? Slumber is laziness. Slumber is when you get to the place where you don't do the things you know you're supposed to do. You stop reading the word. You stop praying. You stop attending regularly. You stop getting involved in your small groups. You stop serving. You just kind of, you just kind of geese through life. You know, you just kind of, you kind of get to the place where you give in to the worst of yourself. It's the same thing that happens with our bodies at times. We let them go. We just kind of get in, you know. You need to wake up. In 2018, I had a major wake up. I was driving across Michigan, all those miles as the district superintendent, and I kept falling asleep at the wheel. That's not a good thing. I could not get home from a meeting without pulling over and taking a nap. And finally I said, something's wrong. I made a doctor's appointment. I went and had a physical. I was, I was, like, I was like 51, 52 years old. I was like, what is wrong with me? They did all kinds of tests. And the next that afternoon after I took my physical, the doctor called me on the phone and she said, you need to come back and see me tomorrow. I was like, oh, no. What did I discover? I was diabetic. I didn't even know it. My sugars were up over 300. I was lucky I wasn't in a coma at times. And that was a wake-up call. I was 230 pounds. I'm 185 pounds now, folks. I had the belly. I had the, the neck. I had pants size that were two sizes bigger. 
and I couldn't, I didn't like life and I didn't like myself. I had to wake up out of my slumber and start getting serious about what I ate. You and I need to also wake up about our spiritual life and be honest with ourselves about our spiritual condition. Go back to the things that you used to do. Look what Paul said. I mean, the, the revelatory, the writer to, to Revelation said to one of the churches in the seven revelations. It's the church that needed to wake up. He said this, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. You know what happens when you don't take care of your spiritual life? You spiritually die. It happens to all of us when you get lazy. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. Remember. Remember your baptism. Remember your salvation. Remember the days when you were walking with Jesus with fervency and energy and life. Remember when you had that spiritual moment when you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you said, I'm done with sin. I'm done with doing my own thing. Go back and remember that and, and that you heard and begin to obey it again. But if you do not wake up and some who get in slumber, never wake up. Some people never get out of their funk. I will come like a thief, he says, and you will not know what time I will come to you. In other words, the day of judgment is coming for all of us. You don't want to stand before God and go, well, I'm sorry I got lazy. I'm sorry I didn't take care of my soul. I got too busy doing other things. There was baseball and there was this event and that event. Our world is crazy today with stuff. God's being squeezed out of our lives. And if we don't take awareness by understanding the times we're in and focus on not being asleep at the wheel by remembering and strengthening what remains in your life. Amen? Now, I'll give you one more word. Keep on keeping on. For some of you, you're not asleep at the wheel. But you may get discouraged. It's weary. I had, a, I had a week like that this week. I was like, God, I, I, this is the only church I've ever pastored where I feel like I'm just kind of, um, we're kind of spinning our wheels, but we're not seeing like, you know, what I, what I like to see is salvations, new people coming to Christ. I like to see changes. I like to see altars full. I like to see lots of baptisms. I like to see the church that is growing at 10, 20% rate every year. Since I've been your pastor, we've had COVID first year and a half. That was weird. We didn't meet at all. 
And then we've got post-COVID. We're trying to get people to come back again. And it's frustrating. And sometimes I'm like, am I doing a good job, God? Is there something I'm missing? I started beating myself up. Now, Wednesday morning, the Lord said to me, just keep on keeping on. You just do what I've called you to do. Love the people, shepherd them, teach them, lead them, guide them, and let me take care of the results. I don't really like that part, but I have no control over it. So I let go. I said, okay, God, I'm going to keep on keeping on. Amen. For some of you today, I need you to keep on keeping on. Don't get weary in doing good, in doing right, in serving God, in worship, in prayer, leading your families. It's going to be tough. But God is trying to say us, understand the times we're in. It's not easy. Amen? All right, number two. Here's the second thing. Get up and get dressed. What do you do when you wake up? You get up and get dressed. <laughs> For some of you, that means you go to get the coffee first. How many are coffee drinkers before you do anything else? All right. I usually go and put the coffee pot on, you know. Um, my routines in the morning are, you know, I get up. I usually get up the crack of dawn, you know, somewhere along there. And it's, it's the coffee and my Bible and my newspaper. And I just spend time with the Lord, you know. It's a great time. I just love that. But get up and get dressed. Don't lay in bed. Okay? Don't just waste the whole day away. But Paul tells us some things here about spiritually getting dressed. He said, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. This is like early morning every day, folks. I mean, just before the dawn of the sun coming up over those mountains, it's a beautiful thing. I love mornings in Bakersfield. Some of the best times of the day are mornings in Bakersfield. The air is a little crisper. And the falls here are just marvelous. They really are. And especially great when we get a little wind and the whole yucky world goes away out there. We can see the mountains around us. But it's nearly over. And then he says, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Every single day, you as a believer have to get up and put on light. Put on the light. And what is the light? It's Jesus. He is the light of the world. He is the light that shines in the darkness. He is the one that will illuminate your path. He's the one that gives you perspective. He's the one that strengthens you. And when you get lazy spiritually, you stop putting Jesus on. It says, put on the light. You'll, if you don't put on the light, by the way, you're going to live in the darkness. Because light dispels darkness. Light drives the darkness away. 
And so you have to put on. He says there at the, in John, 1 John verses one, um, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness. Amen? So you're putting on God. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, what are we doing? If we claim, here's, a, here's, a, here's one of those if and statements, you know, if we claim we're a Christian. And in a post-Christian society, there's a lot of people who wear the name Christian who are not living Christian. It may be still the most dominant religion in name, but not in practice. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all unrighteousness, all sin. Amen? And so walking in the light is something you do every day. It's not something that just happens to you. You have to participate in it. You have to put it on every day. You have to pray. You have to sanct ask God, I surrender to you today in my life. He says at the end of chapter 13, verse 14, he says, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. My son, who is 25 years old today. Happy birthday. I wish I was with him, to be honest with you. But last week, he preached this same exact passage at his church. So I asked him, I said, I said, Patrick, can you send me your sermon? So he sent it to me. And one of the illustrations he says, you know, when he was talking about this verse, is that at the end of the day, he likes to go play basketball. He's very athletic and very, very involved in, you know, just being active. But Patrick has always had the propensity to sweat profusely. And when he sweats, he stinks. I mean, he really stinks. There were times I was like, he would get in the car, they'd be like, holy moly. He also, when he was a teenager, didn't like to wear deodorant. By the way, there was a reason for that. It broke him out in rashes every time he put it on. He was allergic to something in the deodorants. But he said in this illustration, he says, if I come home and I'm all sweaty and nasty, I don't put myself in the bed with my wife until I take a shower and put new clothes on. Thank the Lord, Alyssa says. <laughs> Amen. You stink. Go take a shower. Every single one of us have to clothe ourselves with brand new clothes in Jesus every day. Every day, we got to put our Jesus on, put our Jesus on, put our Jesus on. We got to put our Jesus on. We got to keep our Jesus on. We got we to be all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We want to walk in Jesus. We want to talk in Jesus. We want to live in Jesus. We want to think on Jesus. We want to think on Jesus. He's our Savior and our Lord. He is the light of the world. He is the one that transforms us from the inside out.
Wake up! Take off those old grave clothes and put on new clothes. Live in the light, he says. But he says one more thing. Thirdly, he says, behave yourself. He says your conduct should reflect your clothing. Okay? Notice what he goes on to say. Let us behave decently. Amen? As in the daytime. In Rome, what happened in the nighttime? What happens in the nighttime here in Bakersfield? Nothing really good happens in the middle of the night. You got the bars, you've got the, the girly joints, you've got the, you've got the prostitutions, and you've got the, you've got the drug deals going on. You've got all of the stuff that if you want to get in trouble, you're not going to do it in the daytime, you're going to do it at night because you don't want anybody to know it. He says, you should behave yourself as if you are in the daytime. As if everybody knows what you're doing. And he even goes on to say, what does it mean the opposite of day? Not in orgies and drunkenness. The Bible has the word orgies in it. It's real, isn't it? Sexual immorality, debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. I wrote, one, one writer said it this way. Opposed decent Christian behavior is a, a, a non-decent, well, no, no, what's how I say it? Christian behavior is not a lack of self-control in the areas of drinking, sex, and social relationships. If you're a Christian, I know alcoholism is a tough thing, but you should not be drinking excessively to the place that it makes you drunk. We in the Church of Nazarene actually encourage total abstinence from alcohol. Because we believe that alcohol does more harm than it does good. And we choose to, to connect with the folks who are saying, I can't drink because it'll kill me. Sex, sexual immorality is not just some of the worst sins. It's any sex that is outside the bonds of marriage. Could be pornography. Could be little sideshows here and there. I get my jollies off. Whatever it might be. God says, sexuality for a Christian is holy and pure. And is derived out of a love relationship with God and with another person in the bonds of marriage. That is sexual, sexual purity Versus sexual immorality. 
Three things he talks about there, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. By the way, somebody asked me one time, what does debauchery mean? And I remember when I was a young pastor, I didn't really know. I said, I don't know, but it sounds bad. <laughs> Whatever it is, I don't want to do it. What is Paul trying to tell us? Our behavior comes out of our love relationship with Jesus. Amen? You do not have the power to say no to sin without Jesus in you. Without the Holy Spirit. Without putting your Jesus on. With the Jesus on and living in you, he gives you the power to say no to willful known sin. He gives you the power to live a life that's pleasing to him now. Love drives out sin. And I want to conclude with this. He goes back in verse number 8 and he says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man is fulfilled by the law. Paul goes back to this theory over and over again about this idea of, of the law versus this new way of walking with God in faith. And when you receive God's grace into your life by faith, he actually gives you the power to fulfill the law in your life. You no longer operate by self-will, self-power, self-religion, but you operate by faith in Jesus Christ, putting your Jesus on, walking in the light as he gives you light, communication with God, filling with the Holy Spirit, and then you can do things like not commit adultery. You don't steal. You don't murder. You don't covet. Whatever the other commandments there may be, it's all summed up with this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not do harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The love of God actually, the more you love God, now catch this, the more you hate sin. The more you walk with God, the more you love him and serve him, the more that sin doesn't really, it's not appealing to you. Why? Because you found something better, more satisfying, and life transforming in your life. If you do this, I'm not going to sin, 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 I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. Guess what you'll do? You'll end up doing it. Because you're trying to focus on not doing something. But when you focus on Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I can you. And your life is one where you are constantly in communion. You worship him all day long. You love on him. He fills you. Sin doesn't have its hold on you anymore. Well, I love what this writer says. Love as a positive prescription includes and goes beyond what the law prohibits. I love this. The love invites us to place ourselves precisely in the position of our neighbors and allows actions to flow from the question. Here's the question. What would I desire in this situation? You're driving down the road and a prostitute knocks on the window and says, hey, you want to have some fun? Because you have the love of God in your life, you love the prostitute and you don't have sex with her, but you share the love of Jesus with her. 
That's a difference. Love helps you to respond differently to your neighbors. What ought I to do or refrain from doing with reference to this person? Love fulfills the law because those who love do nothing the law forbids and more than the law requires. I conclude with this story. Story is told of, um, of, of this prison, Sing Song Prison. Lewis Laws was the warden of the Sing Song Prison in 1920. Yeah, there's really a prison called Sing Sing Prison, by the way. The inmates existed in wretched conditions. This led him to introduce humanitarian reforms as the warden. He gave much of the credit to his wife, Catherine, who always treated prisoners as human beings. She would often take her three children and sit in the middle of the, of the yard with the gangsters, the murderers, the racketeers while they played basketball or baseball. Then in 1937, Catherine was killed in a car accident. The next day, her body lay in a casket in a house about a quarter of a mile from the prison, the institution. And when the acting warden found hundreds of prisoners crowded around the main entrance, he knew what they wanted. He opened the gate and said to all the men, I'm going to trust you. You can go to the house where Catherine lays. No one's going to take count and no cards are going to be posted. Those men made their way to Catherine because she had loved them. And the story goes, there was not one man missing when the night came. They all came back. Love, the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, it drives out sin and it drives people towards him. Wake up, my friends. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day when you come out of your slumber. Today's the day when you clothe yourself in Jesus and behave decently as if you are living in the daytime and not at night. Amen? Stand with me, would you? Father, thank you so much for your grace and your love today. And thank you for your word. It's a good word, Lord. Guides us and directs us. Lord, as we finish this service with this song, my prayer is that if there's anyone that just needs to come pray by themselves today, just needs to talk to the Lord before they go home or before they go to their class, God, give us a few moments with you, I pray. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.